A poem is a small machine made of words. William Carlos Williams. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, exploring the poetry scene of Central Canada and beyond with Amanda Earle and A.M. Kozak. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. This is episode 36. I'm Amanda Earle. I'm A.M. Kozak. And we have two guests. Well, this is our first time ever having a four-person podcast, two interviewee podcasts. So welcome to our guests who are... Uh, Nathaniel Arachette. And Conyer Clayton. Welcome to the two of you. So we're going to uh, have a, a little interview and talk to them about their various uh, things. And uh, so see what happens. I'm terrible at banter, so this is what happens. Just say banter, 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 and then there we can go. go out of the bio. Some people are really good at banter. Like I hear other people's podcasts, and they do a really good job. And I think, must learn banter, but it still doesn't. We just doesn't... go straight to it, though. I think you're right. doing it right now, though. You're doing a good job. Oh, my God. I'm bantering. bantering. About banter. You're bantering. Bantering about banter. Self-banter. All right. So Nathaniel LaRochette is an Ottawa area spoken word poet and musician. He has represented Ottawa at the 2007, 2008, 2012, and 2013 Canadian Festival of Spoken Word. He was the 2008 CBC Poetry Face-Off Champion for Ottawa, the director for the 2010 Canadian Festival of Spoke, for Spoken Word, a fifth place finalist at the 2014 Canadian Individual Poetry Slam Championship, and has spent over a decade facilitating poetry workshops in Ottawa area schools. He is also a member of the chamber folk trio Musk Ox and the progressive metal band The Night Watch. And Conyer Clayton is an Ottawa-based artist who aims to live with compassion, gratitude, and awe. She has three chapbooks, Undergrowth from Bird Buried Press, Mitosis from Inwards Magazine and Press, and For the Birds for the Humans from Battleaxe Press. Her collaborative album with, Nath- with Nathaniel LaRochette, If the River Stood Still, will be released August 2018. So August now, now-ish. <laughs> Her work appears in Arc, Prairie Fire, The Fiddlehead, The Maynard, Inwards, Puddle of Sky, Press... Covenant Editions, Bywords, Transom, and others. She was ARC's 2017 Diana Brebner Prize third winner? No, no, win. Oh, she won. won. She won ARC's 2017 Diana Brebner Prize third place in Prairie Fire's 2017 Poetry Contest and honorable mention in the Fiddlehead's 2018 Poetry Prize. She's a member of the Sound Poetry Ensemble, Quatar Galore, and writes reviews for Cantheus. Check out ConyerClayton.com for updates on her endeavors. And Nathaniel, you also have a you also have a website too. If I uh, yeah, NathanielArshet.com. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure to put up all those all those sites and uh, fun things. I try to remember after the the podcast. So uh, yeah, is, is the Night Watch is the Night Watch a reference to the Rembrandt painting? It is. Oh, good. Uh, actually, bonus it points. isn't. I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> but, uh, we can because make you it get now. bonus points yeah. for lying. No, it's that's actually a, a King Crimson song. Which, zoned out there. which maybe you, that's reference to the know. painting. But, no, I was just thinking that because we, we have used that painting okay. for like, uh, we pressed um, like a, a, a rough live album and we were using that painting. So we've used the painting. So okay. my mind immediately just thought like, oh yeah, we've used that painting. But it, it was actually a reference to a King Crimson song okay. called The Night Watch. But now it's sort of a reference to both if you're incorporating it too, in a way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Also, but most people think it's Game of Thrones, which it isn't. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, yeah The Night Watch. sure. of like that's... the guard who stands. Oh, I yeah. I think I they're called the Night's it. Watch, though. The Night's with a K, I think, isn't it? No, I'm not sure. No, it is know. the Night Watch. 
They like Guardians of the Night. It's yeah. not the Knights. If no, it's the Night Watch. Okay. If you're listening to this podcast, please. So. Uh, if you listen to this episode, please Google uh, Game of Thrones or watch an episode and get back to us, and we'll have this right. No, no, no. Listen to the King Crimson song. Oh, there you That's go. Even That's better. Look up first. the painting. Well, maybe we'll put that. We'll link up for the King Crimson song and and yours and also your band camp. If we can get uh, more well. people to listen to King Crimson as a result of this podcast, that would be a, a huge win. Yeah. That will be our goal for 2018. <laughs> we, we need a new one. That that's great. So my my. My first question uh, for the two of you, I, I've actually heard about this already, but I, I'd like everyone else to hear because it's so great. <laughs> How did the two of you meet? <laughs> do you want to take, do who wants to tell the story? Uh, one night long ago. Um, no, uh, it was I a was, snowy night. No, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I was performing with the Night Watch uh, in Ottawa at House of Targ. And um, I was feeling really crappy that night. I was sick that week, and then oh. uh, we played a sh uh, we played our set, and then afterwards, Connie came up and started talking to me. But I had found out about them because I had just moved to Ottawa two weeks before, and I didn't know anyone, and I was just really like, oh, I need to meet people who like the same things as me. So I did a search on Facebook for Ottawa progressive metal, and <laughs> and the Night Watch came up, and they had a show the next week, and so I went to it, and then they played. And then I was like, I'm going to talk to that guy because he's cute and I liked his music. That's so, great. So then I did. <laughs> yeah, and then we, yeah, and then we just started talking and we had a lot of similar, you know, musical yeah. interests and things like that. And then, um, yeah, and then I invited her to go see a concert in Toronto after about 20 minutes of talking to her. And, uh, <laughs> and I did. I took a bus five hours to meet someone was, who I, I just met. give and... a bit of a backstory on that. So <laughs> one of my favorite musicians and one of, I think, the greatest musicians, his name is Devin Townsend, and he's a Canadian He's a Canadian uh, uh, heavy metal. Uh, he does all kinds of stuff, but he's a Canadian uh, guy from uh, BC. And uh, he was performing in uh, Toronto the following week after we had met. And, um, and another one of my favorite bands, uh, Between the Buried and Me, was also playing. Oh, and I really yeah. wanted to go, but I didn't know anyone to go yeah. with, so I just had to resign myself that I wasn't going to get to 15-year-old me would have went with you. Yeah. <laughs> 30-year-old Connie would go with 15-year-old you, I guess. That sounded really Whoa. weird. <laughs> All right. It's almost I mean, weird that we're about the same age in real life. I mean, yeah. That's continue. true. Yeah. So as luck would have it, my friend actually plays in the Devin Townsend Project and had... Uh, offered me two free tickets and so I had been looking for people to go with and then lo and behold I meet this wonderful uh, wonderful lady Connie and uh, <laughs> we're talking about Devin Townsend and uh, in my mind you know the 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 angel on my shoulder is like hey like you gotta like this opportunity is never gonna come up <laughs> well, again and right. the devil on my shoulder was like yeah yeah go for it and I was like all right they're yeah. in agreement like, yeah, yeah yeah so uh um yeah so I I kind of impulsively was like hey let's go see Devin Townsend and uh she said yes. I was like, then, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Wow. Do you recommend going on five hour long bus trips with someone you met 20 minutes ago at House of Targ? Yes. I would. If you, if you <laughs> like Only if they like Devin Townsend. Yeah, that's only, the only foolproof. Yeah. <laughs> anybody you, listening like to Devin Townsend other, is a good person. <laughs> I think it's a good call. Trust your gut. Yeah, yeah it was. Go. Yeah, I don't know. It turned out well. I don't think I don't think it can uh, I don't think it's a blanket statement. It really it's very situational. <laughs> so uh I think you have to trust your gut and your own yeah. judgment and uh again if the person likes Devin Townsend, I yeah. think those are the key yeah, criteria. And at least works out at least once. Yeah. 
That's I, the only time I've ever done that, and it worked out. So. There was yeah, it was it was one of these situations. Yeah, it was one of these situations where I was like, when would this ever happen again? Well, and then and, you uh, and you, there are a lot of things that you have in common. It turns out even well, we'll go mm-hmm. into it. But even like reading over and listening to your work, you know, you, like your your poetry. I mean, there are certain there are certain values that you share and things. So I mean, it was like it's it was true. it was it was a good like you met over over the metal, but you know, it's also the the yeah. poetry yeah. that yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. For some of those common interests, do you see some overlap in your in, in Connie and your work in Catois Galore and in sound poetry and Nathaniel and your spoken word work? I actually I think I see more overlap in like in my work with Quatuor Galore and sound poetry and Nathaniel's music. Oh, okay, um, that makes sense. Yeah. Then then in because I think our our poetry comes from a similar place, but kind of the the play and the experimentation that. Nathaniel does with his music with a lot of really progressive stuff and kind of going all over the map through different genres and then with Quatuor Guler I see more of an overlap there mm-hmm. um, and I view the Quatuor Guler as it's a band you know mm-hmm. and I see it as uh, often more musical than than on the poetry side although yeah. that is kind of a that spectrum could be argued as well yeah it's a big interesting it's a, one of those big debates of poetry that anyone outside of poetry could not care less about. <laughs> but no one of those, none of those people are listening. That's, well, perhaps they are. Perhaps they most are. Most people are not listening. I definitely see it more as like right now we're working on a, a Zappa, a Zappa yeah, thing, yeah. and he so there is like yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of overlap. Yeah, yeah, because it's more about using the yeah the voices as instruments exactly. and tones and and arrangement. So it's very musical. I think yeah, definitely. Yeah, and experimenting with like the yeah. limits of sound expression, and I'm trying to do it with mm-hmm. like the human voice and you do it a lot through instrumentation mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah i think the connection the with voice. spoken word is the sense that yeah like spoken word a lot of time is performative and yeah. i think mm-hmm. sound poetry is is mm. generally more performative than than you know you would necessarily read it um but yeah i definitely agree with yeah with connie's assessment that it's definitely more of a musical approach using the voice as an instrument yeah um and and yeah and again and arrangements and how and which is the same with the band where this instrument plays this and then you're like okay now you're going to come in at this moment and right. now yeah, you're going to come in at this moment then we get loud like it's it's very very similar the way they compose their pieces and playing off of each other and having mm-hmm. to like really listen to is my first experience like in a band mm-hmm. and it's really it's fun yeah because <laughs> you have to make adjustments and listen to each other and it's a new experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i wonder if it was called poetry sound or poetic sound people would be more like okay more agreeing with uh you know, just how it's categorized <laughs> Because to me, uh, sound poetry is very, it is very musical, but because often there's not full words that are used, it, it sounds, it, it seems to me like the sound part is the, is like the, I don't, I don't know if I should call it main, but the overarching mm-hmm. thing that is, that is the driving it. force. Yeah. The driving force of it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like experimental voice art could also be. <laughs> that sounds yeah. fun. E-V-A, but I, yeah. Eva. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think, like <laughs> I think the fact that. Yeah, and again, that that's the fun thing about poetry is that everyone has a different definition yeah. of it. Yeah. And being a spoken word poet, I know that there, I've experienced where people are like, "Oh, well, spoken word poetry isn't really poetry," or, oh, yeah. you know. And, and, and I always find that fascinating. Those kind of delineations of like, okay, well, this is like because it's this idea of and 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 I know we'll talk about it a bit later, but having worked in schools doing poetry, yeah. one of my first yeah. things that I do with the classes is I have them completely dismantle their own right. ideas of what poetry is because i think that that yeah. that idea is what kind of limits a lot of people's engagement with it right? True, think, yeah i'm like why don't you yeah. like poetry oh well it's boring and it's a old and it's like okay well what about 
song lyrics, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And I think so. It's like if if somebody thinks poetry is specifically words on a page, then, yeah, they won't consider sound poetry sound poetry. But to me, I like the fact that poetry is such a malleable word yeah. because it leads to discussion and disagreement and arguments and 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 stretching of understandings, which I think keeps it interesting. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I remember uh, as a kid, we, we had to study this poem. Uh, and uh, the teacher um, was very prescriptive. And I didn't I wasn't interested in poetry from grade seven until I was in my 30s. I didn't really care for poetry at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they have these specific, mm -hmm. very narrow definitions, and it can really turn people off, especially mm -hmm. young people. So mm -hmm, yeah. I thought I mean, we didn't study anyone contemporary. So I thought that Poets were just dead little yeah, white guys. It's, an old, right? it's so, a historical yeah. art form or something. Yeah, so yeah. It, it wasn't interesting to me. I didn't even know, like, now that they're having, you know, poets in schools, I think it's so great, like, that, mm -hmm. that really makes a difference. Yeah. So speaking of uh, speaking of uh, not speaking, so having a complete, uh, almost a non sequitur here, <laughs> since we're, we're going to be uh, putting out uh, mitosis very soon, well, I guess it's already pretty Probably much finished. done. Yeah, it was just in the final. I hope it's almost finished. Yeah. It's no, next the, week. the chat book is, is it's... Almost done. We are having a binding party oh, next yeah. week. A binding party. Yeah. That's well, neat. Party is probably a loose term for a bunch of people sitting around <laughs> She's doing manual work. labor. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, that's my kind of party usually. It's just, you know. But anyway, so how did the collaboration for mitosis come about? Um. So I wrote uh, mitosis last fall, and it's five sections, and I wrote it in different sections and started performing them out before it was completely done and. Um, and I don't really, how did we start writing it together? It just, just kind thinking, of happens. Like, yeah, I was just thinking that right now. I don't remember <laughs> the moment of us, like my memory Eureka. starts with us. <laughs> just having it. I or know. us doing it. Yeah, because I remember, I don't know, I think maybe we had talked about, oh, it'd be cool to connect some things. And then you had the mitosis piece. And then I had a, a guitar piece that I wasn't really using for any projects. And then... We put of, it to one of the sections and it really worked really well. Yeah, and thematically the title of my piece fit with your piece and then we just started doing it and And we expanded it from there and then and then we performed that piece out quite a bit and I worked with it on the page and uh, as as kind of the year went on we started working on some other pieces uh like recurrent and home um and setting those to music. And then I, Manahil Bandukwala told me she wanted to publish Mitosis as a chapbook with Inwards and to have it released at the end of the summer here. And we decided that it would be kind of cool to do a dual release and put some of the work we were doing together on other songs as an album. And it, it, we worked on it through the year and it came together and it's very loosely, not very loosely, it's very much about a process of closure um, that I've gone through over the last eight years uh, with my mom's death and the mm -hmm. and her ashes and uh, and finally scattering the rest of them at the beginning of July this year and wow. and so it kind of came full circle and then we finished the album and the chat book all came together at the same time so yeah it's mm -hmm. like they're like sister pieces um, there's I like that That's yeah nice. yeah it was very yeah and it really kind of blossomed very organically yeah um, originally we thought oh it'd be cool you were going to release mitosis. Uh, that might have actually been the the impetus to, to do it. To get the album together. Yeah, I we think, thought yeah. like, oh, release Mitosis and then release the recording of it. That'd be cool. And then 
and then I was like, oh, I have, I just had some guitar riffs. I was like, oh, well, like, why don't we, like, do you have a piece for this? And then she's like, oh, this one would kind of fit. And then we did it once and it was like, oh, that works amazingly. Perfect, yeah. And then another time Connie was writing a dream she had. And then at the same time I was playing guitar. And so just. And those just work together. Yeah. Too. Wow. And, and it just, and then, and then we were as the, and it, sorry, the, the album started developing even more. So we thought, okay, this is the album. And then. We were like, oh, it'd be neat if there was like an acapella piece or maybe just like a solo guitar piece. And then Connie performed and Natalie Hanna of Battle Axe Press, she said, hey, like she just was like, this piece you just did is so amazing. And we yeah. were already thinking we should have an acapella. And then we thought, oh, that's perfect. And it was and, the one that fit perfectly. It's about yeah. it's about like this sense of um, sense of ownership that I had developed over my mom's ashes and the mm, urn. Yeah, and it's like really that. unhealthy kind of feeling, but it was still very true to me. And and that poem kind of led me directly during the experience of scattering her ashes uh, at the beginning of last month with my sisters. Mm. Um, I was in the water like with her urn and that poem directly led me to like so many realizations about like what I needed to do in mm. that moment. And it was really like this this whole album and, and chapbook is a really important piece of work for me in my life. And um, anyway, and a very healing thing. And that's mm. what I want to come across in it. And and it's kind of, I want it to be kind of a gift to other people who have dealt with a significant loss and and mourning and that process of grief that is like ever continuing and but also cyclical. the people who also the people who haven't they yeah, think it's a so. gift as well like getting that sort of like intimate insight yeah. into somebody else's process and understanding and and seeing through of all these different complex experiences and emotions and even for me just you know I I haven't experienced a similar thing as Connie so even just soundtracking that is very yeah, it's very, very powerful and very deep. And, and just being able to observe that has been really an honor. And, and yeah, to share that vulnerability with, with uh, the world basically is a great, you know, I mean, it's, I like it's a good thing to do. We need it to. You also have, I think that Chapik will also have illustrations as well. Is yeah, right? Manahil illustrated. She did, the, she did a bunch of illustrations for it and uh, designed the cover. So and she's she's done amazing work on it that I'm really really grateful for. Thank you, Manal Hill. And we've spent a lot of time together uh, working on this. And it's she's great. just she's awesome. And yeah, yeah, she's great to work with. So. Well, and I've seen the evolution of this project. The first time I heard it was when we were reading together at yeah. uh, an inwards reading, and you you came, and that was the first time I've seen the two of you together. So I was right. like, uh huh, yeah. interesting. I'm already like very curious <laughs> about this. But also like it was uh, the first time I think I heard you re and you read the piece. Yeah. And it wasn't quite done then. And the that first was a, section was yeah. was not in it yet. Yeah. So yeah. I've seen the evolution of that yeah, piece go from reading to then uh, memorizing and, re and kind of reciting mm -hmm. it, and then with music. So yeah. when you decided when you move from just reading the piece to also then memorizing it, and there must have been a thought process and decision process in that too, like it changing to yeah. You know, uh, this kind of goes back to our musical interests. Uh, yeah. I view this mitosis as like a prog poem. Um, <laughs> what is, I like what that is a prog? prog poem. Prog. Oh, how do you define prog? I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> people, people get. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I, I actually want you to. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> prog references. Prog is a reference to a style of. Uh, popular rock music in the 1970s, yes. which was cons at the time it wasn't called progressive rock, but historically it's been reviewed as that, which was basically, you know, 60s was sort of songwriter, kind of psychedelic, yeah. things were getting weird. And then in the 70s, it was basically when these really schooled musicians were leaving school and then 
joining rock bands yeah. and then creating 20 minute songs and with... there's a lot of overlap with like jazz fusion and yeah. I had, yeah. like that I had well. this yeah. album my sister gave me this album when I was a child because I was a child in the 70s and it was called uh Moving Waves by Focus, and it's a great yes. album. I love this yeah. thing. I listen to this thing in my in my with my red curtains in my nice. rec room and my shag carpet. I lay on the floor, and after that was Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Nice. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. All from that era. Yeah. So the, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, spir- the spirit of the music at that era was exploration. So yeah, basically, since, anything could happen. So yeah. at that time, it was like, oh, why not do a twenty-minute song? Hey, why not do a double yeah. LP with four twenty-minute songs? That's it, yeah. Why not have like a huge solo? Why not sing about buddhism and like life and it was these grand concepts and i was and it what's interesting is that at that time that became popular music like these projects became like pop like they were touring with like i've seen pictures of this one project emerson lake and palmer yes, they had like sure. four transport trailers for their tour and like things got ridiculous as they always <laughs> do with like successful pop music and what happened was that the spirit of the music was to create something really you know outlandish and there was no rules right and then eventually it became viewed as like oh progressive music means these rules long songs lots of solos technical playing and which kind of goes against the spirit of it originally but that's kind of where the idea of prog comes from is like something that is explorative and sort of like takes like a wider view of things so so yeah that's why i view mitosis as a prog poem Mm -hmm. it's like a 10 minute epic concept poem Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh and just goes on a lot of different directions. And I do think setting it to to music really highlights a lot of the the changes throughout it. And I, I've started to view it differently as as we were putting it to music and and different parts would jump out at me with different intensities um, than when I just was reading it on its own. Mm-hmm. Do you make any changes based on the music at all? Did you... I made some small just small line changes right. here and there to kind of go with like just for rhythm and and flow Clearly that the, 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 those suite of notes are a comma okay there you go yeah basically yeah and <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it did inform where i leave space and mm. where um and where i go go faster although mm-hmm. a lot of that was kind of in it from the beginning but yeah in yeah, in addition great. to mitosis there's also I've, i found musicality and rhythm to your other your other poems as well such as uh, rhymes in the in undergrowth, which is a series of prose poems. Rhymes at the end of declarative sentences, which kind of brings it all home for me. I'm just going to read a little bit of a poem carrot that I think illustrates that. But it's for the good of the strong, arbitrarily chosen. Everyone can't be allowed to live. You'd stretch to the other, make holes, pubescent and malformed. You'll be lonely regardless. Keep the soil moist while they're young with illusions of equal care. Dry soil is hard growth, is ugly fruit, is bad harvest, is disappointed father. The more effort it takes at the end, the better. So I particularly like this move in the prose poem because it's not at the end of a line where the reader is going to expect uh, a rhyme, so that's what can surprise you. How much do you think about sound repetition to add in, and how much is it sculpted after the fact? So how much is it pre-thought, and how much is it, okay, it's kind of being developed, and I'm going to change things around to get that sound that I want? I like the word sculpted. I like that. Yeah. I'm very <laughs> fond of sculpted. <laughs> cool. This is good coffee, by the way. Yeah, it oh, is. I'm, I'm, yeah. Thanks to Blue Barn, who's not sponsoring <laughs> us, but they are a local Wakefield uh, <laughs> roastery, coffee, something or other place. We always add in these product placements. Like, <laughs> no, I, I really <laughs> Step one. We're waiting to be sponsored by Lagavulin. That's yeah. what we're hoping for. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. Um. So for me, repetition happens extremely naturally. And 
I definitely go back and craft it after the fact for, you know, for emphasis or um, to hone in on on certain certain things. But I think it happens because I tend to that's how my mind works. I mm-hmm. get uh, when I'm writing, it's often as a way of working through something or to get to to the truth of something that I'm confused about. Mm-hmm. And I, I deal with a bit of anxiety. And, and one of the symptoms of that is that I get stuck in these brain loops. Right. And uh, and I think the repetition in my writing is kind of a reflection of that. Yeah. Um, and helping me work through it. And so, but it also reflects kind of, I think my, I have a bit of an obsession with with cycles and and cycles in the natural world and in our lives and in our relationships and in our minds. And I think it's one of the most or only consistent factors in the world and throughout history is just the inevitable nature of, of cycles. And, mm. and so I think that is where that repetition comes from. Um, and yeah, I definitely, I'll go through a draft and sometimes I've done it way too much and I have mm. to take it out, but I do try to use it to my advantage, mm-hmm. if that answers your question. <laughs> I think also if, if you're writing to work through things, we often we're rethinking that we have to think about something several times in mm-hmm. order to like work through it, right? So that kind of, yeah, you can get stuck in a cycle, but I think also sometimes that, that cycle that's happening in our minds is also just a way of processing and it's not well, necessarily exact- stagnant. It's- exactly, and, and I do think if you've experienced a, any kind of trauma or even not just there's one little detail that our brains just keep going back to Mm -hmm. and i do a lot of in my poetry i find i'll be going through something and then just a little image comes in Mm -hmm. and those are those the images that this replay in my mind and feel extremely significant to me even though i'm not sure why and Mm -hmm. their significance kind of reveals themselves to me through my poetry and so nathaniel how do you deal with repetition in music Mm -hmm. does it tie things together or does it remind the listener or something or is there another effect that it has um yeah i think probably all of those things um i'm a big fan of the sort of um hypnotic quality of repetition um this is something i do a lot in my writing in terms of rhyming because what I love about rhyming is how many times can I repeat the same sound but imbue it with different meaning. So I've, mm-hmm. I've done experiments like that in some of my work where it's fascinating because if you didn't speak the language, you would just hear me repeating the same sound right. over and over and over again. But there's something kind of hypnotic about that, I find. And I've experimented a lot of that with some of my music in terms of long form things where you create a repetition and you can almost kind of sink into it and sort right. of transcend in a certain way. And then it almost kind of creates a grounds for you to sort of just like let go a little bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's a very, I feel like it's a very interesting, but I also, I've, I've played my music for some people who are like, Oh, it's too repetitive. You know, it depends on, it depends on taste. But for me, I find that, you know, if I can find a musical idea that is interesting every time you hear it and you can, you know, it's sort of like with hip hop music, I find like, I like to do a lot of really epic and complex stuff, but I love a good hip hop beat where it has a one loop, and it doesn't change and it never gets boring and to me that blows my mind that that can happen do you, do you think the the change in the meaning is from emphasizing the sounds differently as the as the repetition of the loop happens in your music or is it the meaning changing just by its association with the other things that are around it i think it's more by association yeah like one of the things in my rhyming that's one thing i find with rhyming sometimes that's Rhyming is a funny tool because I think it, it can be done, I mean, like anything, it can be done really poorly and really well. And I almost, in my rhyming, I try to sort of mask it in a way where I try to clump a lot of rhymes together and then not 
necessarily emphasize them so that mm. the ear is noticing it happening but it's i'm not like telling you like right. here's the emphasis it's right not over focus it's not you're not banging the reader on that yeah that. yeah so that because sometimes that can sort of like jar you out of it and it's yeah. like and then you become expectant of like okay here comes the next one oh mm. what, you know and then you're so it's like to me it's it's a it's sort of like a balancing act and trying to find that kind of yeah and so even with music um it was funny because when i first moved to ottawa in 2005 to my I had left university and I decided okay I want to play music and just learn guitar and see what I can do and at that time I was working at a pub in old Ottawa South and uh, I was working with this painter who's from Iraq and uh and he was such a he was such an incredible person and I just remember he would say he would talk about painting and the, his philosophies behind painting and he said his philosophy was repetition with variation hmm. and that always stuck with me because in in music I find the most fulfilling thing is when I can take one idea and get a million, take it in a million different ways, but it's always rooted in the one idea. Mm-hmm. So that as a listener, you're you're still grounded, but it's constantly changing. Sort of like if you're driving down, you know, you're like driving down a highway and you're still in the country that you're in, but the landscape is changing, right. but you're always kind of grounded in that. Right. And uh, I find that as a technique is, is very fascinating because you're not even, it's the same with the rhyming. And I do that as well. Like I'd mentioned, it's like, I want to use repetition in a way that you almost don't notice it until you go yeah. back. And sometimes I find that with music that I listen to, I, I find like, wait a second, th- this is the same thing from before, but I didn't even notice it because they they dressed it a little differently. Because yeah. mm-hmm. um, it's like, yeah, to me, I find that the most satisfying is how much can I get out of one idea versus like putting a million different ideas in a row. Yeah, I like the idea of sound as as grounding mm-hmm. because it's it's that almost subconscious thing. If it, if you're not be- beating the reader over the head with it, it's that subconscious thing that you're noticing, and it's it's giving you that foothold, and then you're sort of in that in that focused space to really understand or or, or pay attention to the the other parts of, mm-hmm. of the poem, the um, what the what the words are saying, how you're interpreting the words. Yeah, so I kind of like that. Yeah. It's almost like a metronome if you if you mm-hmm. think of it that yeah. way. Of uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like you said, and that's what you said is perfect. It's how do you get a listener to let their guard down and just be in that space where they can just receive it? And mm. that's why I'm very fascinated with ambient music and mm. music that I listen to before falling asleep. Because yeah. when you're falling asleep, your guard is completely down. So you receive it in a different way. Yeah. Whereas when we sit down to listen to a poem, you know, different guard, we may have different barriers up yeah. like, oh, oh, they're talking about this. I'm not really into that. Or in spoken word, even, you know, a lot of times people, you know, spoken word is associated with like really loud performances and really brash. And that is true to a large extent. I've never really kind of been that comfortable doing that. And because I've noticed that sometimes, yeah, you can actually isolate your audience if Mm -hmm. you're trying to just like, here's the meaning, you know, it's like, and I I almost try to incorporate that in my poetry where I want to be as kind of unassuming as possible so Mm -hmm. that people can just feel comfortable and then they can actually like receive the right. they have an in yeah, yeah yeah they can be in a focused place to receive the the art and i think that that's the ultimate goal and yeah i often i normally write with um either ambient or instrumental hip-hop type of music in the mm-hmm. background that has that loop as i find it really really focuses me mm-hmm. um to be able to to be able to write yeah yeah and i and i do as well and actually i find practicing poems to music um is very is very interesting and in the same way that when i was uh, composing music for connie's poetry it was just so fascinating how it sort of like reveals this hidden dimension to the Mm -hmm. work that that you're not necessarily familiar aware of so it's like i realize like if i change my chord just as you say this word oh it it changes everything the whole the whole weight of it it's like and i'm sure maybe you can talk to this like 
I guess I can ask you a question. Is did you find that <laughs> yeah. having we music... asked the questions <laughs> around here? <laughs> I'm curious, yeah, cool it. did you find that the hearing music now to your poem like did it reveal kind of <laughs> hidden dimensions to like hidden oh, yeah. meanings or hidden weight well even now when i listen to the album i'm still like finding like my own little easter eggs that i put in easter there eggs. <laughs> that i didn't realize i think i texted you about one the other night mm-hmm. and i was yeah, really yeah. amped on it um but yeah and i don't think i would notice that if it weren't for the music but i do think too that the the reason that it works so well is because the intentionality and philosophy behind the creation of both of our work is so mm-hmm. similar. I, yeah, at mm-hmm. its core. I think we're both kind of interested in exploring the same ideas. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree as well. I wrote a, um, a, in 48 hours, I wrote a 60 page manuscript oh to God. Nine Inch Nails, a downward nice. spiral. So that's, wow. I like, I sometimes I listen to different music depending on the mood that mm-hmm. I'm in mm-hmm. for the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I would listen to a lot of uh, medieval carols by Anonymous Four for a certain type of, uh, I did a, um, a chapel called Book of Saints uh, about Saint Ursula. And, mm-hmm. and and so I'd listen to that. For, so it depends. I listen to it for, for Kiki, my book that I was um, writing about Kiki in the 20s and 30s. I listen to a lot of that roaring 20s sort of music and stuff like that. So yeah, not necessarily as I'm writing sometimes. I also make playlists after the fact for, I love making playlists mm-hmm. for like, yeah. for things that I'm writing. I'm writing, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm writing a novel. I'm building a novel right now. And I, I'm making a playlist as I'm going for nice. It's about a band. Well, this high school band who uh, may or may not get together games so yeah so i'm writing all this all this sort of and the music is like this sort of 70s and 80s punk a girl punk and riot girl stuff so yeah i love music is a big part of everything mm-hmm. that i do and this is probably the rare time that i don't have music playing this is for the <laughs> podcast but that's it we had a slight technique technical glitch with caused by a person's finger i don't know who that person was and I, <laughs> so hopefully we didn't lose a bit of the a bit of the recording but we'll we'll see what happens uh all right, so uh, hopefully we, we got all that interesting stuff about sound, but I, I think we did. So uh, if not, we'll, we'll just have to let you imagine what might have been. <laughs> we'll have a musical interlude. No, there you go. So, so Nathaniel, in recent years, you have been performing less at spoken word events and taken on an increased role as youth educator, teaching poetry in schools. And you seem to have increased with a typo, I noticed, your, with my own handwriting, your involvement with music. What led to these changes? And can you talk about your experiences teaching poetry in schools? Yeah. Um, when I yeah I moved to Ottawa in 2005, and then 2006, I went to my first poetry slam. Yeah. Um, they used to happen. It was a Capital Slam event, and it was happening uh, on uh, Cooper and Bank Street, which is now at Tim Hortons, but before it was called <laughs> the Gap of Dunlow, which was a uh, the Gap of Dunlow. Yeah, oh yeah, it was That's a it was a bar. Was. And uh, I remember yeah, I discovered Memories. spoken word. I went to this event, and I had no idea what to expect. And then. I, they said, okay, you know, anybody can sign up and perform. And I had a few pieces kind of banging around in my head, but more kind of like acapella rap, I guess. So I did that and I just fell in love with it because I just, I've always really loved words and how you can like build different things. And that came more from listening to hip hop growing up than it was poetry. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I just got really into it. And then eventually I, I competed, uh, got to go to some national slams. And then eventually I was organizing events. And then I organized a national festival or I directed the national festival with the help of a lot of people and went to a lot of festivals. And yeah, eventually I just felt like it, I felt like slam was kind of a stepping stone to other things versus like the final kind of thing. I think slam is a very interesting art form because you can go in not really knowing what it is. And within a year you're traveling around the country, yeah. you know, and that to me was blew my mind, you know, but I've also found that there are some pitfalls in slam where 
if if you treat it as the final destination, then you kind of limit yourself because mm. in slam we're we're judged in three minute performances. For those of you that don't know what slam is, it's it's a spoken word competition where you have three minutes to perform, the audience judges you and that kind of thing. And so I felt like slam was you know an amazing way for me to just explore different styles of writing and um and doing these competitions and these festivals where i was competing with teams of people on stage i could experiment with okay like can i write like a theater piece or can i write a In comedy minutes, piece yeah. yeah yeah like it's it's to me it's, it's like a the great constraint yeah i consider yeah. it the pop of the literary world and you know pop music is not by definition bad you know what i mean some of the greatest songs ever are pop songs but it can also be pop songs can also be be bad but to me it's about it's about um really condensed forms of communication right you have three minutes and yeah. i've always enjoyed that challenge but as i did that for a while i got so into the loop of writing three minute pieces it's like now i'm like oh, i want to write like a 50 minute piece you right. know i want to so Pro, to, you want prog piece yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah and so so i think eventually I, I did it so much that i was like okay like i'm i've i've done a lot and like not to say that i never will do it again but i just felt like there's this has given me the the stepping stone to now explore mm -hmm. you know like longer form things and because i find that you know in slam you know even at a national festival like the ones that i've done you know you're going to be on stage for 10 minutes in the entire night and then you're a national champion so but the thing is if you're going to do a feature reading you're going to be on stage for 25 minutes yeah right yeah so or maybe you might have to do a 60 minute reading or whatever, right? And and I Heaven found- forbid. Yeah. <laughs> I've personally never seen one of those, but- Really, yeah, I've done them in the schools, but- uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but so, so yeah, I just I just felt like Slam was a really great uh, learning experience and it just really honed my, my writing and it helped me ex experiment with a lot of different mm. things. But then I realized like, okay, I wanna, and a lot of people that I know do that, they, then they're like, I'm sick of writing three minute pieces, I wanna go beyond. So that kind of is part of the reason why I, I stepped away from it. And, You've progressed. Um, yeah, no, for sure. I, I think so. And I think that that was really important because, so yeah, because also in Slam, um, you know, there, it, it's, it's, it's a sport and it, you know, it has its, uh, its, its, its good sides and bad sides. And, you know, it's, it's true that sometimes certain styles of performing may get a greater score from the judge because they're more immediate. Right. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I just found like, I, for me, it's like, I'm always wanting to try to do different things. And having done that for so long, I felt like, okay, like I want to try something else. And teaching in the schools um, is something that I actually started doing pretty early on after doing slam. And I've just kept doing it because, um, I mean, partly because it's, it is a job for me, but also because performing for teenagers is just really amazing. Because, I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. Because they well, don't, they can't lie to you. They're yeah. They're just going to be, yeah. They don't care. Like, it's like, I could read that bio and they they don't care who you are or where no. you've been or what you've done. Like they're like, okay, I'm in school now. Like this sucks. This like I don't want to be here. Yeah. Who's this guy? Like, and then, and then for me to the, like to see how students react to like honest language and like also rhyming and, and to just also see what they, what they write as well. Yeah. Cause I basically come in on a Monday and I say, Hey, on Friday, give me a page single space of anything. Yeah, you know, that's great. has to have meaning and emotion. That's my definition of poetry. I said it's writing with meaning and emotion doesn't, you know, like literary devices. Those are tools to help the meaning and emotion. Right. right? right. So they're like, can it be a story? I'm like, yes, it could be anything. Just write a page. And <laughs> the things that they share, like it, you know, teachers are always telling me the things I always hear. Are, this student's never going to read or like uh, right. or like or like this person never writes for me. So don't expect anything. And then they're the ones that share the most. And <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's. It's very fascinating. But even within that context, I'm still feeling now like a little bit 
stuck like okay i'm doing these workshops at a time but now i want how can i like expand it you know so mm-hmm. i'm almost thinking like what's next yeah what's next? like maybe like um <laughs> i don't know like a one-man show for students or like a documentary about the work that i do in schools that would be really great yeah like it, it, yeah. it would write itself like because it's just so fascinating to see how thoughtful and how introspective teenagers are because when i hear people say oh teenagers this this generation it's uh, all it's like no like there's you know it's like they're still like self-aware and discerning course, individuals yeah. and like probably more so than yeah. past generations honestly. yeah because like, like, they have all this stuff thrown yeah. at them and and lots of things like when i was a teen we didn't know because we weren't exposed mm-hmm. to we were a lot of things were kept from us you know mm-hmm. deliberately in and some i think ways. generally mm-hmm. i work with teenagers as well yeah, i, I yeah, think generally do. that's now something that, you both have in common yeah. actually isn't it yeah. that's interesting and i think that teenagers i find to be a lot more compassionate yeah and and aware of like social social things now than definitely than i was when i was a teenager yeah yeah i think the opportunity for teenagers to get completely sidelined and down the wrong path or completely like or to really go yeah yeah yeah. yeah. it's it's there for them and i've seen at this one high school i was teaching at there was a trans student who was like a twitter celebrity like right yeah just like on twitter just like (laughs) with huge fault you know like like she just like found her path and like took social media and is just like crushing it and i was like that's amazing because like you were able to use that tool and then i also see students that are just completely lost in the cyber vortex and cyber but also like but also the amount of conversations i have with students about social media and about technology and their own kind of misgivings about it it's it's very it's very fascinating Um, i think they're also extremely aware of how of how nuanced relationships with with social media and just their devices are. We're always talking about as adults, like, oh, like kids are on their phones too much. And they, oh, right. They, <laughs> so, so, are we, so are we, and, yeah, really. and they know, they're aware. And I think they're, they struggle with it the same way that we all do. And I think that it's kind of silly for us to kind of point the finger at young people when, I don't know. It typically, youth is always scapegoats. So, oh, yeah. But it's just so, so generation. Like, yeah. It's so silly. Yeah, yeah. The Who saying my generation in the in the sixties, you know, <laughs> or seventies, oh, I guess. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. it's it's always yeah. it's always going to be like that. I I'm can't like, believe I'm sitting at a table talking to people about those damn youth. But we're like, but we the like them. I know, I'm but talking about talking about the youth as like an other or yeah, like that not you, me. I'm turning thirty on Wednesday, so I feel like I can officially be. Yeah, like, that's right. Yeah. Your birthday's coming up. Is it happy birthday in advance? I'm still only twenty nine. Hold on to it. But that is an interesting thing because when I started teaching in schools I was 22 so yeah. I was a couple yeah. years older yeah, yeah. and now as I've gotten now I'm you know I'm 33 and I'm teaching 13 year olds so now it's like as the years have gone on now I feel a greater responsibility to just share with them like my own ideas and truths and stuff and and they're surprisingly receptive to that kind of thing as long as you do it without pretense and you're not yeah i don't go in thinking like i, yeah. I talk to them as equals as, you yeah know? not that you have something that you, no they, you can learn as much well from but them. The, most yeah. teenagers never don't have the experience of adults talking to them super super honestly yeah, yeah. and with candor yeah. and so i try to do that in my teaching and i know i know you do it in your teaching yeah. as well and it that's what that's how yeah, you connect that's with how them. you get them to open up and when you have a grade nine a grade eight student reading a poem that they wrote about their fears in the world and you're 33 and you're like you're speaking my heart 
Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> How am I going to talk down to you? Like, no. I have the same fears, you know? Like, hmm. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'm in my, I, my because I'm, I'm in my 50s and in perimenopause, I'm in my second teenage life. So I really uh-huh. relate to teenagers a lot. <laughs> I have all the hormones and all the angsty <laughs> anxieties and I'm just old and having them. So it's, it's fun. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're all teenagers. We're all teenagers at heart, especially if you're, if you're creative. I think there's that mm-hmm. questioning and, sure. and rebellious spirit that doesn't, hopefully doesn't go away. So sure. and I respect that. <laughs> there's also, um, uh, no, I have, there's no segue I have. I was trying to do it, but it's not going to work. Uh, so that. yeah, can you talk about your CD, Nathaniel, The Threshold of Transformation, released in 2012? Um, a lot of the poems on the CD and in your performances talk about the importance of living for today, joining the moment, and there's a meditative and reassuring quality to your work. So who are you talking to in these poems and how do they jibe with your personal philosophies? Yeah, I mean, I'm t- definitely talking to myself first and foremost, but in a way that I think is relatable to others. Um, because when I was doing spoken word, I was always referred to as like the mellow poet or the uplifting <laughs> the, the uplifting poet, you know? And it's funny because I'm like, wow, like... In, when, even when I look at my poems that I think are inspirational ones, I'm like, wow, I talk about death a lot in this because I think that, yeah, it, to me, the, my own personal philosophy reflected in Threshold Transformation is it's not things are great. They've always been great. Don't no. look at the bad. It doesn't exist. It's the opposite. It's like things are hard, but like the only way to move through life gracefully is with optimism and hope. To me, optimism and hope in the face of adversity is the real strength, yeah. right? Whereas, you know, and people just assume if, if you're being because I've known people talk to me about that a lot. They say, oh, I find it really hard to write inspirational poems because I just want to. And I'm like, and I'm like, it's true. Yeah. It, is, it is harder because there's more difficult things to write about. So Threshold of Transformation for me was like, I kind of see it as like my own sort of like manifesto to myself of like, this is it's sort of my grounding manifesto of life. And anytime I recite it to myself front to back. You know, it's really has these kind of truths that I, I feel like even though it was came out six years ago, I'm still like grounded in, you know. Mm. Um, and yeah, the whole the whole thing was written at a time when I was kind of I mean, I still am like just it's a way of me kind of processing my own doubt, you know, and and the threshold of transformation really represents this kind of like getting to the point where you're at the you're at the line. You know, and you're like, oh, I have to take that step, you know, and, and sometimes you take the step, sometimes you step back, but it's it's there and you know, it's kind of like, you know what you need to do, but it can be a bit scary. And um, yeah, so, you know, I, I wrote it for myself, but I also I wrote it in a way that like, it isn't that self-referential mm-hmm. um, so that I want people to read it and be able to find their own ideas within it without it being like, one day this happened to me and I dealt with it this way. Right. And that worked for me. It's more like, like even the poem threshold transformation it's just a, it's just a series of questions it's like what would you do if this happened what would where would you go if this happened and to me i find that i find that very inclusive you know because that's one thing i learned doing spoken word was that it's it's easy to see it as like it's about me because i'm on stage and you're listening but to mm-hmm. me it's the opposite it's like you have a room full of people taking time out of their lives time they'll never get back to listen to you and so it's like there's a responsibility there so it's like what can i give you can i give yeah. you a bit of light that you can leave and be like okay you know like there's a big responsibility there so that that whole book for me was like me trying to understand my own insecurities and how i can get over it and it's not even like i i i succeeded it's it's me processing all of that and Mm -hmm. that's why like i like that collection because it's it's a thing that like i'll never be able to live up to i'll always be living to attempt to live up to it i guess speaking of performing to audiences 
Right. So uh, at a recent says, uh, reading. Uh, a recent at Sawdust back in July it feels like a long time ago now, but it wasn't. Hmm. Uh, you performed heavy metal nerd to much acclaim from the audience. <laughs> from me too, I really loved it. Uh, how does your involvement in music affect your poetry and vice versa? What is the role of humor in your writing? A couple of different things going on there. Yeah, um, we were we were all laughing pretty hard and recognizing yeah. ourselves and others. And, yeah, it's, it's so great. Good. Well, my friend John Akpata has said it to me yeah. before, and I agree. He said comedy is the highest form of writing. Because yeah there's only one goal within it, you know, and, and you either get it or you don't. And mm -hmm. so comedy is the thing I've, I've dabbled in, in my writing. And I think it's, it's, it helps people relax. You know, when you're laughing, you, f you feel good. And, um, and in terms of my relation to music and writing, I've, I feel like I write my poems, like I write a piece of music. Like mm -hmm. I, I really consider what's the intro, right? Like what's the climax? How does it like, you know, how does it resolve? Like I, I really, frame it like that in my mind um because it forces you to sort of like look at the whole the big picture and and how each part because in music you know you can for me the thing that's most satisfying in music is is when i can and i'm sure it's the same with you guys with writing it's how do you weave two things together seamlessly so you it just you know and that that music is really challenging how do i i have this riff that i really like and and I have this one that I really like. How do I put them together so it doesn't sound like they're stuck together? And I find mm. with writing, that's really the how do you make it seamless? How do you make it flow, mm. um, so that you're not like, not so you can kind of transcend the the work itself. And yeah, to me the the yeah to me I kind of approach them the same way, um, in terms of like yeah music and and writing as well. I just want to say something because it's something that I've heard you say and that I agree with. But it's in music too that like if it makes you laugh then like it's probably good yeah. i like music that like if i listen to something yeah. mm -hmm. and i laugh i'm like oh yeah i love it yeah yeah and that's a rule with my band as well like if we come up with a thing and we all laugh we're like oh we need to keep that that's you know? it because, yeah yeah for we, sure. because it brought us joy and to me that's yeah. the ultimate goal with art yeah. you know like is to is to try to give joy to people and that can happen through really dark pieces you mm -hmm. know um and with heavy metal nerd that's that's kind of the 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 genesis of that piece it's that like the whole poem is about heavy metal and heavy metal as a genre of music is a genre of music that forces you to face the darkness mm -hmm. in a general sense. And that's something that people hear someone screaming on a microphone and it scares them like it scared me the first time I heard it. But then when you learn to face the darkness with strength, that's kind of what metal what metal is. And uh, and so that that piece uses humor to kind of lighten it. But the ultimate meaning of it, it is there, you know. And I think also maybe some of the laughter is uncomfortable laughter on for some of the for <laughs> yeah. some of the lines because they're like oh what like but that's also part of it as well can you face the darkness and feel strong can you face the darkness and laugh you know and and because we all care there yeah absolutely so i'm actually planning on oh, creating an announcement. a well I'm just, i keep <laughs> saying this to people but yeah i've the, that, a big announcement maybe we should do it at the end or at the beginning so we don't bury it in the middle. no no it's fine no but i want to turn that piece into a one-man show that i actually score as well oh um, that would be fantastic and so yeah so i i keep like it's been about a, a solid year of me just like mentioning to Kanye, okay this you know but we um, were on a bike ride last night and he was like mapping it out the whole bike yeah, ride. yeah like, I, okay then this that to me is the first now that i kind of see the map unfolding i'm like okay because Again, it's like I feel like the the past decade of writing and the past decade of doing progressive music and heavy metal are have kind of led me to to this project, which is like taking all that I've learned and performing and creating something like super over the top that communicates how important heavy metal and music is to me. So, yeah, it was great, though. But I mean, I, I, and I, I would love to I would love to. Um... 
I would love to hear it uh, like recorded. So mm -hmm. that sounds great. I, I will, and I will. I'll be at the at the show if I'm if I'm in town. <laughs> I promise, because I'm I'm interested in. I I don't know a lot about heavy metal, but I I have been involved with people who are very into various types of heavy mm -hmm. metal and have introduced me to some things. Yeah. So there's I was I was involved with someone who's because I was so not hadn't didn't know anything about heavy metal. He insisted we I started with Judas Priest. So mm -hmm. the Sad Wings of Destiny is where okay. we started. So yes. that's a Yeah, it's a broad where... it's a broad genre. To me <laughs> it's, it's a like broad if you genre. if you've ever felt anger you're a heavy metal fan. There you go. <laughs> oh, well, you just don't know it. There you go. Closet closet to yourself. Heavy metal fan. Excellent. All right, so that, that uh, it, it's me. All oh, right, I, it's still I'm still on. Oh my god, I still have the mic. <laughs> Connie, your poems are full of physicality and movement. How does your training in gymnastics contribute to writing, and what is the role of the body in creation and performance of the work? Um, yeah, so I think that that's an interesting question because I I don't tend to think about gymnastics a lot in my writing. It's something that I've never written about directly, even though it's a huge no. part of my life and it's been. My it's probably the most constant thing in my life since I was a kid mm -hmm. is gymnastics. And I think that it affects my writing less specifically than it just affects my perspective on communication. Um, because the body has such such a crucial role to play. Oh, there's a bunch of doggies. <laughs> Apparently we have wild dogs. <laughs> the apocalypse coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> <All right>. uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that the physicality of my job really affects the way that I view communication because I, I teach dance and I teach people how to be aware of their bodies and how much we communicate through our movement mm -hmm. um, is something I'm extremely, extremely aware of. And for me, there's no like, there's no mind body separation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that that's where it comes to in my writing. I'm really interested in exploring the ways that um, the body is like a conduit for for our mind, but in a way that that sounds like I'm saying they're separate, but but they're not. It's so linked up for me. Um, and and I've been writing a lot recently about like the ways that our mental states manifest in the body mm. through you know stress mm. and and illness and things like that. Um, so I'm really I'm really interested in the ways that like our body expresses things more intuitively than than we can through our our words and. I think one of the goals in my poetry is to somehow channel that and channel that like intuitive communication um, that kind of surpasses logic that everyone can understand that I think we do best in movement. So mm. I want to, I've, I've been saying this to people because I think it'll make it more real to myself, but I've been wanting to incorporate movement into like my own performances somehow. Interesting. Um, I've been spending the last year getting more comfortable on stage just with yeah. my voice. And but I love dance and I've always loved dance and I dance a lot by myself, but I've never aside from doing sort of like aerial performances like silks and trapeze, I've never done that. Um, aside from those. <laughs> well, but it's different. I wanna find a way <laughs> I, I wanna find a way to incorporate it into my poetry somehow. Um in performance. So I don't know what that's gonna look like and that's how I'm gonna get over that kind of uh there's a lot of like body image and comfort issues too. Oh, yeah. oh my God, yeah. that like is hard to get through. But I think that it's like an inevitable and very important next step hmm. for me to kind of get through. 
That's good. If I can yeah. use a mic and, and speak at the same time in front of an audience, I'm already I'm already <laughs> doing better than you know most days. That's no, it's it's terrific though. One thing I have noticed about uh, when uh, I, I was a recent sawdust, maybe it was the same one that you were at. Oh yeah, I think it was. No, I, I can't remember. Oh yeah, it was. I think Bara Arar, mm-hmm. and she Bara, yeah. yeah Bara. She really used her. The way she uses her hands. Yeah, is so like beautiful. It was, yeah. I mean, the, just that incorporation of the body into your performance. It enhances the meaning and, and the communication. Yeah. so much so and yeah i admire that it's, it's never going to be me but i admire it when other people do yeah. it <laughs> i think also an element of uh, that you didn't touch upon that i've noticed in terms of the connection between your work in gymnastics and your writing is in your work in gymnastics you're working with young athletes and you're setting you know you're, you're challenging them to do really difficult things and you're also setting really clear goals and really clear mm-hmm. plans and really clear paths towards success and and i know that in the way that i've seen you operate that really impacts the way that you not necessarily write but the way that you approach your writing and and we've talked about this in terms of like the discipline it takes to do yeah the discipline and work ethic it takes to do a very challenging uh task physical task and i know that you approach writing and your your writing career with the same idea of like okay Focus. If I want to be here yeah. by this time, I have, I have these goals. I, I have I to def- work. Yeah, you're very, true. you're very disciplined, and I know that in writing and in art, and we've all done this, where it's like oh, I'm not really feeling writing. I haven't been writing that much, but I've noticed with you, you're very disciplined with your writing, and you, you just try to like keep working at it because I you definitely know, think gymnastics. I yeah. would attribute ninety nine percent of my work ethic and ability to goal set and and achieve goals mm-hmm. and time and time management to gymnastics for mm-hmm. sure because i was training 20 hours a week going to school also doing diving and i still had to do my homework and i still had to, mm-hmm. you know and and that's something yeah that i try to teach my athletes as well and it is a i'm going to give everyone this like great tool for goal setting and time management there you go. About, Are you listening? <laughs> and this is something that like i do but yeah we teach we teach what we need to learn right so i i uh <laughs> i I have my athletes, I have a goal where I want them to be here in two years, right? So I want them to be whatever, at this level with these skills. And then I work backwards from there. And I'm like, okay, if they're gonna be here, then the month before that, they need to have this. Mm -hmm. And then they need to have this. And you just work backwards from it. And it makes it so clear whether or not, when you get to the present moment, first of all, whether or not that's a realistic and achievable goal. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, whether you're being lazy and you're like, oh, I could actually do that in a year. I could probably move that goal timeline up it's just yeah and it's very tangible and markers of success along the way anyway so i think that's true that it does maybe influence my life in more ways than i had Mm -hmm. thought about i do that even your um even though the the text itself is full of fair it's physical very physical like for the birds for the humans i guess so but i know a lot of physicality and even what's interesting about that particular chapbook it's the battle axe press chapbook Mm -hmm. that came out was it last february february so this year but i mean even just the chain the 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 connection the bird human i mean Mm -hmm. you can't always tell them apart i i found that fascinating and so sometimes the description of the bird could be the human and i just Mm -hmm. there's a lot of interesting physicality in in those descriptions that uh, yeah, I found fascinating. Is I don't. I had not really 
thought about that as that a person much who before. writes so <laughs> internally like mm. i often i i sometimes don't consider my body at all even see i when, live when very writing. bodily so i yeah. think that that's mm -hmm. a well even sometimes yeah. when i'm writing i can be so focused like i can be at the screen and i notice i'll be typing and suddenly i'll notice oh my god i'm i'm like cramped up because mm -hmm. i haven't moved in mm -hmm. like too long it's actually phys it's hard mm -hmm. for me to remember i think that it can be a detriment so, though because i yeah, think sometimes it is a i'm so aware no, mine well, is, well oh. for, maybe <laughs> both ways though i i because sometimes i'm so aware of my body that i have trouble i have trouble kind of moving beyond that and really getting into my mind because i get i'm so distracted so easily by like every feeling i have in in my body because i am like hyper aware of it all the time mm -hmm. um Sometimes I have, I have trouble getting comfortable because I can like I'm like my butt is on the seat right now I can feel it I can feel this mm -hmm. my posture is this and anyway <laughs> with me it's yeah, sometimes I have to like because I have to drink a lot of water and if I forget I get I get dizzy right so mm -hmm. I'll I'll like forget and I'm mm -hmm. like I'll suddenly try to get up off the chair and I'll be like whoa what's happening because you know, I've forgotten mm -hmm. all about my mm -hmm. physical needs completely because mm -hmm. I'm all totally in the whatever it is I'm working on so that's i need some of you a little bit of you and you can i probably need a little bit of there that yeah. well that's great we can make the perfect poet together. there we go, there we go. <laughs> uh, from from one chapbook to another the poems in undergrowth i uh, noticed i have a consistent form and frame so there's there's gardening there's vegetables or, or titles of the poems etc but the narrative is associative at times and this reminds me a little bit of our progressive conversation earlier are you talking about your your new chapbook mitosis and um how it's you know that that sort of narrative exists but it's it's there's um movement in it too i'm not saying that very well i'm just gonna over gloss over that uh, that statement <laughs> and i also thought of gertrude stein's tender buttons uh where there's titles as particular things but then then there's a lot of association um reminds me of when you're doing a manual task like gardening and your mind wanders and as your mind's wandering uh without effort insights come to you so in the chapbook the quasi narrative ties the poems together where it's themes or the act of planting itself um, some of these themes are uh, motherhood, being comfortable alone, separation, resistance. Uh, for example, there's the poem Mint, a line from it is, but perhaps a plant accustomed to indoors forgets how to vine, dominate and puts its foot down and put its foot down. And from Cucumber, mild flavor with thick green flesh, perfect for learning to ferment when you move to a new city with a failing marriage. Uh, how did you decide to, on using gardening and vegetables to create this consistent scene? Um, so it it came very, very literally from a garden that I had when I was living in Halifax um, before I moved to Ottawa. Um, in the summer of 20, I had it for two years, but specifically in the summer of 2016, it was the last summer that I lived in Halifax and I was in a completely disintegrating uh, marriage. And I had decided, you know, in July that I was going to move to Ottawa by myself but I was still there for a few more months. And mm. the garden was my my escape and this kind of place where I could go to try to get away from everything that was happening. I was preparing to move to a new city alone and and to to leave my relationship and to start a new job. And I, I was, there was a lot. It was a hard, really hard time. And the garden really helped me through that. So I... I really wanted a tool to be able to talk about that time with a bit of distance, with a bit of kind of mm. dissociation. And because I have also written a manuscript where it's very raw and it's very explicit. Um, but I wanted one that that wasn't so much to put out in the meantime while I'm working on that one. 
to talk about, you know, divorce and to talk about uh, abortion and abuse and this kind of linkage between uh, death and, and birth. Um, so, so I kind of picked, I had this idea too. I was, I was starting a garden here last spring of 2017 and I really like seed packets and I like the like <laughs> descriptions on them and I think they're just some really fanciful and I was picking out garden uh seeds to plant in this garden literally only by virtue of the descriptions have because... you have you read the Robert Croach's I have, catalog? I, have, I was gonna yeah, say the yeah. first thing came to mind yeah I actually hadn't read that when I started this idea oh, and then cool. people were yeah. like telling of course, me about everyone it so I read talks it. about yeah. Robert Croach that yeah so and it's great um yeah so I I wrote potato and cucumber that spring <laughs> which are the names of the names of the, each each poem has the name of a vegetable and I wrote those two and they and at that time I wasn't thinking like I'm gonna write about that summer but that's just kind of what started happening mm -hmm. and and then I put that and then it just no no more came to me for a long time and then in December of last year December 2017 I was hit with this big kind of burst of inspiration and I wrote the other 14 within a week and wow. And I literally just took vegetables that I had in the garden that summer and I just picked the vegetable and started writing. And the themes kind of came to me as I was I was writing mm -hmm. um, the and it, it was pretty, pretty easy, honestly. And so like Justin Million at Birdburied helped me once it was accepted with him uh, and, Bur and Alicia at Birdburied his editing was like really, really helpful and highlighting those themes. Um, and we didn't do a lot of changes, but his insight really revealed a lot to me that I didn't, that was in there that I hadn't been super conscious of. Hmm. Um, and asparagus specifically is one that he helped me with the most to kind of, um, to make sure that what I was trying to say was clear enough to the reader without kind of browbeating would you, them. Would you be able to read that for us? I'd be happy to read asparagus. Wonderful. It's my it's my copy of the chapbook. I forgot mine. So. <laughs> Asparagus. Joints of greenery cluster underground and reveal themselves no matter who owns the land on paper. Some mother planted this and never tasted the labor. Asparagus's conception of time is lava slow. When a delivery occurs three years later, a crowning head is hardly recognized as such. Vines grew between the diamonds of the neighbor's fence and covered the shy points. So stop asking. Gestation is a reaching vacuum, a question you could not answer. Stop repeating yourself. Cut them small and tender. The earlier you end this, the better. If you leave for the weekend to camp with a stranger, there'll be baby willows when you return. A ferning droplet of crumbled frontiers. Snip them one inch from the earth. Common knowledge says everything deserves a second chance, but asparagus overruns the corners. This was never the plan. Square grids were strictly labeled. The plot is still fertile. Common wisdom says reap what you sow without taking the reaper into account, much less who did the sowing. Thank you. Thanks. So if I'm understanding you correctly, then you had a couple of poems and then you went to the garden, you saw the, the, the vegetables and then you started there. And then these sort of the other themes kind of came out as you were writing. They just about, kind of presented themselves. Yeah. And then as I put it together, um, there was all these threads. Cause like I said, it's all grounded in a couple of months of experience. Right. So, 
um, there wasn't a, honestly, there really wasn't a lot of aftermath insertion of themes. Yeah. It just was all kind of there. It was a matter of just highlighting them with that. Yeah. And I, I, want, I always wonder in, in consistent chapbooks or books like this, how much of it is after the fact the writer goes, well, I have a whole lot of gardening poems. Maybe I'll take these other poems and I'll put some gardening in them mm -hmm. just for consistency. <laughs> and how much of it is it uh, I'm starting with that with that frame of mind? Yeah, I then. started with the vegetable seed packet idea and then wrote. And each kind of um, each kind of vegetable took on its own its own character, I guess. Yeah. Um, oh, that is a wonderful segue. Uh -huh. Amanda, please. Tell well, <laughs> yeah, I, we sort of covered this a bit more, but yeah, I, I said um, the speaker of the poems go from physical descriptions of plants to autobiographical detail. It's, the, it's like that, and then and then the, the vegetables have their own personalities. Like people, kill reminds me of a good friend or family mm -hmm. member, and garlic okay. about someone really resistant, for example. Like, like to call call someone kale. You know, can you make have a character named Kale? You know, that's how <laughs> Kale would be. You know? Very I bet you that's a baby name Reliable. Now. Oh, it might be. It might be. News. So, yeah, it's very effective. And we talked about for the birds, for the humans, and how it's, it's sort of often interchangeable. So, and then same with a few poems in the marshes. There's some, mm. there's it's a little bit of that too. So what about uh, personal environmental philosophy and its relationship to your poetry? Do you, well, for, do you see any relationship there? Yeah, big, big yeah. time. Um, and again, it's not, most of my writing isn't done with a conscious themes in yeah. mind. It just kind of comes through um for undergrowth specifically it's funny that they take on their own character but i feel like those characters are just aspects of of myself right um and i think you're that's, really kale <laughs> i'm kale. so kale we're all a little kale we're all a little kale even though i can't have kale with you <laughs> <laughs> um but also often in my poetry the you it, i'm referring to is me yeah and um so yeah i think that's that's where that came from but as far as the kind of personal environmental philosophy <laughs> I was I think I tend to anthropomorphize things a lot yeah um and that gets hated on a lot I think recently like people are yeah. like, oh. it really does but I they loved I, it in the 19th century yeah, yeah. but I'm I'm into it whatever <laughs> I'm I think that there's a lot of value in it and it's not to say like I'm not trying to make everything human it's more that I'm trying to make humans less human and and highlight more aware uh, yeah more. and highlight the ways that everything is really the same and the ways that everything is connected and um just like the sameness of of all experiment mm -hmm. of experience between birds and and humans and plants and i'm really interested in kind of trying to break down the the barriers between plant and animal and human and animal and human and plant and i think that everything communicates and even in ways that that we don't that we're not physically capable of of picking up with our senses um but i think that again i use the word intuitively a lot but it is the way that i kind of guide the way that i feel connected to, to the world is is through just kind of my intuition and i think we can like feel feel that communication of, of plants and animals really kind of in our hearts, but we have to get over our kind of human ego and our self-importance a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like I'm at my best and my most grounded and kind of the most full of feelings of love when I remember those truths and remember kind of how connected we are. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I write in that way, I think, is to try to hold that kind of close to my heart. Nice. Yeah. One thing I used to do, I haven't done as much lately, is... Um, write about people as animals rather than the other way around mm -hmm. um, and I think it does a lot of the same 
a lot of the same sort of thing breaks down that dichotomy, I guess. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of the the dislike for anthropomorphizing now is because people don't want there's this aspect of like, oh well we should just things shouldn't have to be human for us to appreciate them. You right. know? And like and I agree with that. But if if we can I think, okay, let me start that over. I think it's an issue of like the language we have to talk about it. So there's this bit of this like lean, um, there's a lot of scientific literature about the ways that, about plant intelligence. Yeah. But, and usually mm-hmm. the the issue that other scientists have with it isn't about the data, it's about the language used surrounding it. It's about the word intelligence and ascribing that to a plant. And they don't like that because it's anthropomorphizing, but that's the language we have to describe what we're talking yeah, about yeah. in the best way possible. And and if we use a different word, if we use a word that's like less quote unquote human, then we're not really getting at the same meaning. And that's like, there is intelligence there. Mm-hmm. And it, yes, it's a different kind through different methods, blah, blah, blah. But it's still intelligence, in my opinion. So I think I don't like that uh, that kind of angle anyway, personally. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. I remember, at, uh, I don't know which, whether it was at the open mic at Sawdust, I think it was actually, or, or something at Sawdust, where you read a poem that started with an octopus. Yeah, that and was, that was that. recently. Yeah. I love that little, I remember thinking about how, you know. It was, <laughs> that's part of the dream poems. I that's was, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That you, th- those are going to be interesting right. poems. I'm looking Thank forward you. to seeing it. I remember the first time I ever heard you uh, read was when you were, uh, uh, the, you poem off winner at Sawdust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had a whole group of supportive friends that had come <laughs> from, well, I guess one had come from Halifax and the others. Were he just happened to, to be there. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it yeah. was terrific. And I thought, <laughs> wow, this person, I just met her and she's surrounded by all these great friends. And she gave this kick-ass reading it's no, like okay the, well this is what happens with sawdust right we have the poem off winners and it's a real opportunity to like there's you there's sarah mcdonnell mm-hmm. there's ali duff all these people who won poem offs in the last year or two and that we, we you know we never heard of before and suddenly mm-hmm. they come into the literary community and there's a place and we're also you know thrill it's thrilling to have i someone. love ottawa's poetry scene it's, it's like good. it's amazing it's yeah, yeah we have a good we have a good uh the summer always seems a little quiet, so mm-hmm. I, always, I always pine but for the for the readings just, and my friends. Just to get back to something that you said, Connie, um, it's kind of it got me thinking about it. It's, it's almost like a failure of language that we don't have the sort of language that we that we really want. And it made me think of what you're talking about earlier about the body and and touch and sort of sometimes words can get in the way of that direct connection yeah. and how you're using you want to use the body to get into it then it goes to the mind and almost like then it goes if you're talking about dancing and performances then it also kind of like goes the other way too then it goes yeah. back from so it starts in the environment body mind mind body environment mm-hmm. i just thought that was do you think that's part of why that the, the body and sound and all that other you know, para word stuff, all that extra things to the words is it attracts attracts you to that sort of thing. Yeah, I think so. I also am interested in the ways that we we can engage with 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 the physical mentally. Uh, I use a lot of like visualization work in with my gymnasts mm-hmm. and and the ways that we can like train our bodies and not be moving at all. And mm. so I, that's where I think that um, the, I'm talking about where there's no separation between mind and body. And like you can, when you practice something mentally, you are like, you're creating those neuron pathways stronger yeah. and stronger and stronger. And then when you go back to doing it 
quote unquote, in real life physically, it is easier and you are better at it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, I don't really know exactly how I was answering your question with that, but that's what it made me think of. <laughs> mm -hmm. do, you want, do you want to bring it home, Amanda? Bring it probably home. Run I feel in like a... I should be playing music for that one. But uh, <laughs> speaking of music, uh, I noticed on your site, Connie, that you've also been involved in other musical collaborations. Your work adapted to music mm -hmm. or, or used in scores, which is pretty cool. That seems yeah. interesting. Uh, so what is it? We've talked a little bit about, but let's talk more a little bit about your relationship to music. So, well, I, I have dabbled in music a bit personally, but I wouldn't call myself a musician. Like I played piano growing up and oh, a bit okay. in high school and I took some music theory and um, I did a bit of singing and then through dance, I feel like I have a, a connection with it as well. And I'm just a huge fan. I'm uh, so this kind of uh, collaborative work that I'm doing with Nathaniel and that I've done in the past with other musicians, which was less collaborative and more of them contacting me saying, oh, I like this piece. Can I use it? in some work I'm doing or kind of commission me to like write words for a piece they're doing. Um, I feel like it's my in. So I want to be more involved in music. I, I would like to, I would like to be able to call myself a musician at some point. Mm. Um, but I'm not there yet, but I feel like I'm, I'm stepping in that direction and I, I don't know what's going to happen, but music's a huge, huge part of my life. It's so, yeah. exciting to see what will, what will come. Yeah. Speaking of music, Nathaniel, oh. would you like to, introduce uh when she paints for us sure um so when she paints is a piece from uh my chapbook slash album threshold of transformation uh, it's actually one of the earliest spoken word pieces that i wrote that i still really like um the piece was written for my mom uh mm. who is an incredible painter and um she, yeah she took up painting when we immigrated to Canada, I th maybe she was painting a bit before that. I think she's been painting a bit before that, but she has this incredible, I guess the style would be kind of folk art. Um, and it's this very, it's not, it's, it's very intricate, but on the surface, it's very simple. So the colors are very vivid. The characters are, you know, like kind of have these round heads. They seem very simple, but then the detail that she puts into it is, is absolutely incredible. And there's this sort of, beautiful hopeful optimism but like even the characters themselves like the smiles that they have are always very small you know like mm -hmm. it's never like this you know there's always this kind of i don't know how to describe it um this this sense of reality through this very beautiful lens mm -hmm. um and uh i've i've just it's, i've just always been amazed by her painting and knowing my mom's history and the things that she struggled with i've always been amazed that the paintings that she makes are so colorful and lively and um there's a metaphor in there somewhere that when i wrote the poem sort of found its way out of just like kind of carrying this weight but still you know i was thinking of like this weight on our shoulders but like a soft brush stroke in mm. in the midst of it and um yeah and so this piece is a really is really interesting that you chose it because it's it's a, it's very directly linked to the album that i'm doing with connie um, in terms of uh, this is a classical guitar accompanying a poem. And uh, so this is sort of a, con a continue with the album we're doing now is a continuation of this mm. of this piece. Um, and yeah, to me, it's kind of interesting because the album itself, Threshold of Transformation, I, I sort of just did it over one summer and uh, kind of just put it online and just let it be. And uh, it's sort of this piece of the catalog that kind of just sits there quietly, but has a lot of meaning to me. Um, so I always find it interesting when it sort of resurfaces and I'm glad that you guys 
or took the time to cool. listen to it. So. And, we're gonna... and we'll, we'll, we'll put that, we'll, um, all being well, we will play the, uh, play the piece at the end of the podcast. And uh, is there any other thing we need to say before we, we close the, anyone have any I final? I just want to plug our, our release. Yes, next. plug it. Yeah, Hopefully so we're releasing, yeah, Mitosis and If the River Stood Still uh, next Sunday, August 19th at the Hindenburg Happy Goat at 7 p.m. Excellent. And it was part of an inwards, it's an inwards uh, reading and launch. So mm-hmm. uh, hope to see you all there. And all the details will be hopefully in the link when we put up the, put up the podcast. So all right. thank you both else? for thank you. being interviewed. Yeah, thanks <laughs> thanks for having thank us. you for having us on. Yeah. Thank you very much. she paints she does so with the weight of a boulder on her shoulders and a touch as soft as snow snow falling from on high to down below as gentle as a single flake or footsteps at the wake that fall like a silent hush each Brush strokes stoking the fires of past demons and feelings provoking hope until both manifest themselves as reasons to cope while each coat gently floats like silent waters surrounding her inner strength like a moat but those past demons know you can't forever keep the drawbridge closed so she's chosen to let the pain of the past last only as long as each canvas in tow with the weight of the world on her shoulders and a touch as peaceful as a pillow but you wouldn't know it at first glance her delicate portraits of blooming plants revealing the true beauty of things that seem silent to the world while in her mind they sing They sing songs that speak of the undying hope in the stillness beneath, fueling her willingness to beat through those values too many accept as their stands, for she knows that life is lived by those who dance and forgotten by those who leave their dreams to chance. So she paints. With precision more pristine than any human being could program into a machine, because eyes were meant for seeing and hearts for feeling. So when she picks up a blank figurine of clay, she allows infinity to give way to the prospect of possibilities that keep most at bay. For she finds relief in the simplicity of our overwhelming abilities, a belief we all have the capability to grasp once we move past the difficulties that last, only as long as we wait for fear and doubt to pass. So she paints. With the weight of all unkindness she's ever felt, like a bookshelf on her back. While ideas ebb and flow like waves of courage that know that how far you've come determines the strength of the undertow. So with a stroke as bright as a rainbow, she paints snapshots of imagination, laced with an understanding of what exists beyond the lightly detailed corners of childhood. 
And though she's seen many deem that clouds are made of ice cream, she's one of the lucky few who never unlearned how to dream. So she paints. She paints portraits of those who've loved her so dearly, sitting next to her under a blanket by the sea, or simply holding her closely. And like elegies to the past, these landscapes of memories stand fast as foreverlasting monuments, honoring times she once occupied, but now exist only in her mind. For these collections of canvas and color stand as testament to me that there's beauty in the darkness if we choose to see that the starkness of what we now are proves to be a reflection of what we've survived onto what we now know. So I hope you now see that there's beauty in the darkness if we choose to see that the starkness of what we now are proves to be a reflection of what we've survived onto what we now know. So embrace the boulder on your shoulders with a touch as soft as snow. Small Machine Talk. With Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. <laughs>